Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Revelation, and we're in Revelation chapter 21. And after Revelation chapter 21 comes Revelation chapter 22. And so we are, we're about ready to land this plane as we looked at what God has given to us as far as unveiling more clearly who Jesus is, and then not only who Jesus is, but what is going to happen as Jesus comes again. Uh, this morning is a, is a special morning in so many different ways, because any time we get to open up God's Word, that makes it special just by definition. But also, this is, um, what day is this? This is, um, this is Valentine's Day. So I thought I'd begin a little bit of some Valentine, I don't know if you call it trivia, or some things you might want to think about about this particular day. I don't know if you've uh, read the stories of the origin of, of Valentine's. There's actually many stories out there, but one of them is related to the Roman Empire and Emperor Claudius. Claudius uh, was uh, very kind of self-absorbed, and so he wanted to have a powerful army so that he could go out into the known world and conquer. And so he decided he wanted to have a super army. He thought men who were single fought better than those who were married. I guess if you were married, you wanted to get back to the homeland. If you were single, it didn't matter as much. So he, he had an edict that if you were in the army and single, you could not get married. Well, as you might have guessed, that wasn't exactly a pauper edict. And so there was an individual who decided that he would try to help those soldiers out. And his name just happened to be Valentine. And so Valentine, who was a, a bishop or a priest, he uh, decided that he, have, he would give out some secret marriages. And so he did so, but the emperor found out about it, and he wasn't too happy. So he put Valentine, who eventually became St. Valentine, he put him to death. On what particular day might you think that be? February 14th. So just when you think this is a happy day, just remember you're celebrating someone's death. Anyway, um, secondly, just in case you were wondering, um, is this only a commercial by the Hallmark cards? You're thinking this is the day where everyone has to send out cards. It's not actually the most popular day to send out cards. Um, it's only the second most popular day. What do you think the first one is? That's what they said in the first service, Mother's Day. Actually not. It's actually Christmas. Christmas people spin out more cards than Mother's Day. So I guess Mother's might be the third. And then if you're wondering, well, what, 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 are, the, what are the statistics out there in relationship to people connecting in a, in a dating experience on Valentine's Day? Now, I only read one particular statistic, and it was related to those who were in their 20s. And, um, and the odds are, for those in the 20s, um, the ladies, you have a little bit of an advantage. In the 20s, there are 100, out of every 100 men that are single in their 20s, there's 119 women. No, 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 I've got it opposite. For every 100 women, there are 119 single men. So there's more men than there are women in their 20s that are prospects. So if you've got any 20-year-old that's in misery, you can tell, well, tell her that there's, the odds are for it. And then if you were wondering, well, is marriages becoming kind of passe? Well, there are actually over 2 million marriages uh, that take place in America, which if you average that out, that's 6,000 marriages a day in America. And uh, men, uh, just realize you pay most of the bills. 73% of the money spent on Valentine's are spent by men. And then... Um, um, oh, yeah, this is the one. Have you ever heard the phrase... Um, you wear your heart on your sleeve. Anybody ever heard that? Well, that's more than a phrase. I guess in the Middle Ages, what the ladies would do on Valentine's Day is, is actually a week before Valentine's Day, they would draw names or they would pick out a name they particularly liked, and they would actually pin that name on their sleeve. 
And, you know, men are a little slow, so they want to make it obvious. I'm interested in you. So that's, that's how that happened. And then one last, uh, uh, you know, seven is the number of perfection. Uh, and so I don't know if you knew this. It's a little-known historical fact that in 1977, on February 14th, a young man named Mike proposed to a young woman named Alice on Valentine's Day <laughs> in Newport Beach on Diamond Avenue. So anyway, so... So anyway, so this is a special day in the Johnson household, particularly as it relates to Al. And the miracle, you know, some people want to, does God still do miracles? She said yes, all right? And then, um, so far she's continued to say yes every year of our marriage. All right, so, um, so this, is, this is a day in which we celebrate love. And, and in many ways, introducing this theme or passage out of Revelation chapter 21 it relates to that. Because you, uh, you express love in word or in deed. And God expresses his love both in word and in deed. And one of the, the best ways God demonstrates his love is in what he gives to his people. Probably the most familiar verse in all the Bible is, For God so loved the world that he gave. And as we think about what God is going to do in the future, he's going to give in such an amazing way that we will spend eternity just expressing gratefulness for that place that he has prepared for us to live for eternity. And not just a place to just hang our hat or put our shoes, you know, in the closet or wherever it might be. But he's got a place for us in which we'll have things to do for eternity. And all those things will be important. And all those things will be things that, that we're so excited about doing. I don't know if it was in a small group or whether I said it on a Sunday. You know, that, that phrase, if you, if you find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. You ever heard that one? Well, I really believe that's what eternity is going to be like. God is going to have us being involved in things that are just particularly connected to how we're shaped. And we, we will see it not only as things we delight in doing, but we will see it as important. You know, you can do certain things you enjoy doing, but you're kind of feeling guilty and say, well, this is, you know, this is kind of a hobby just for me. You know, I'm kind of being self. I just love playing golf, but, you know, what does that do for mankind? You know, whatever it might be. Is that whatever we do in heaven will not only be uh, something we enjoy doing, but it will be important for eternity. So as we think about this morning, the message of, of heaven, and I've entitled the message Heavenly Expectations. We know in life, expectations can be either that which uh, is something that excites us or disappoints us. Whatever we expect, and once we come to that point of experience, either those expectations are met or they're not, right? And, and when they're met or surpassed, it just multiplies our joy, right, our happiness. But if we have certain expectations and they aren't met, and then it just brings dis disappointment and discouragement. And, and as we think about what God has prepared for us, we're not going to be disappointed. He will meet our expectation and beyond. So what I want to look at this morning is what the Bible says about heaven, not what we might conjecture. We, we, can, we, can, um, we can spend a lot of time trying to talk about uh, the subject of whether your pet's going to be in heaven. You know, uh, will, you, will your little doggy be there? Um, I am convinced cats won't be there, but, you know, you know is, your, is your dog going to be there? You know, you know, we could talk about, okay, what kind of uh, relationship will we have with people we know well here? Will we know them just as well there, or will they be special friends compared to other friends we have in heaven? I have no idea. 
The Bible says we will know fully when we see Jesus face to face. I don't think we're going to have to have name tags. I think we'll all know everybody's name. But, you know, there's, there's some details about heaven that we don't know. But what we do know is enough for me. And I think some of the, some of the pursuits of, of people coming back from heaven, supposedly, and telling us certain details about, you know, what the Holy Spirit's color was like and, you know, who was traipsing around, you know, I, I, you know, I have some, I have some concern, concerns about that because what the Bible says about heaven is enough for me because I am convinced, and if you want the application point at the beginning of the message, is this. When you have just a taste of a bit of heaven, you're going to be even more convinced that you want to what? Go there, right? And if you care about people, not only do you want to go there, you want to take as many people as you can with you. And that's, that's really the message, is that, that this, is, this is almost too good to be true, but it's what? It's true. And so let's just look at it briefly this morning. And, and I just put some things down this morning that kind of hang our hat on some things God has said. Uh, you, you could spend quite a few Sundays on trying to dissect every line, every statement in this passage, but I want to just highlight what the Bible says about less about heaven. So I got 12 points, but we're not going to spend eternity in each point. So heavenly expectations, it's beyond our expectations, so what can we expect? What can we expect heaven to be? And the first two, I'm summarizing, I think, seven or eight points I preached a couple weeks ago and just giving you kind of backdrop of where we were and then look at what was additionally given to us to John and, and for our understanding. So first of all, what can we expect about heaven? Expect it's going to be better. And I could just leave it right here. I enjoy the place God has already made. I, I enjoy this planet. Now, I know it's messed up. There's a lot of things that go wrong. And we as people are the biggest problem on this planet. But there are a lot of exciting places to go and to see and to experience. And there are a lot of relationships with people that I cherish so deeply. But we need to understand that when heaven happens, it's going to be new. All things will be new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So we expect it to be better. And just in case um, we don't really think that's true, the Bible tells us that. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. We won't be, I wish I was still back in that old place. That will not happen. Um, but as it is, they desire a better country. So heaven's going to be better. Secondly, expect it to be joyful. And in Revelation 21, 3 through 8, I'm not reading these passages as we read last week. That was, among other things, the place that's going to be no mores. Remember, no more, no more, he- no more death, no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering. Now, that will not be there. And so the opposite of that, it's not going to be sorrow. It's going to be a place filled with joy. In Philippi- in Psalm sixteen eleven it says this: "You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy." And hopefully on Valentine's Day you have people in your life that that, that could be said of them. You know, Alice is my fullness of joy. I, I I'd rather spend a day with her than anybody else on this planet because she is the fullness of joy to me. And if that is true about a person here with skin on, even more, so much more is going to be in the presence of God. In His presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And I thought it's interesting that the psalmist would even say that. I mean, I, I, I like pleasures. I like fun. I like doing things that excite me. And that's going to be true in heaven. 
We're just not going to be floating around on a cloud. There's going to be things to do, things to enjoy, and that will be heaven. All right, new areas. I expect heaven to be amazing. And I'm not giving you any profound statements here, but I just use words that kind of capture as I read the passage. In Revelation 21, beginning in new where we left off, we have these words. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Like I said, you you could spend a lot of time on each one of these verses. It's interesting that the seven messengers, that's what angels are, they're just simply from heaven rather than on earth, they had the interesting responsibility to give not only bad news, but what? Good news. And I'm sure if you asked them, would you rather give the bad news or the good news, they'd be just like us and say, I'd rather give the what? Good news. And so God graciously said, okay, I know you had to give the bad news, the wrath of God being poured out on this earth, judgment and punishment for those who rebel against God. But here's the good news. The good news is those who love me and believe in me, all this has been prepared for eternity for them. And what is that? He says to John, and who then says to us, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so he's speaking about all the people that are going to populate this new residence called heaven and earth, new heaven, new earth. And he carried me away, this is John, in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city. So he said, I want to give you an aerial view. I want you to look at this, which is going to send out of heaven. And so this mountain kind of gives him a bird's eye view. He said, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. These stones, and I'm not going to read all of them in later passages because the, you know, some writers, as they, they look at this passage, will say these stones aren't necessarily exact representation of the stones we have today and so we're kind of guessing at what they may or may not be and they're, they're also hard to pronounce and so so but what they are are pictures of God's amazing display of what is glorious or something just 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 captures who your attention you're just in awe of it and he said this is what's going to be true about this place it's going to be simply amazing and, and, and when I hear, you know, things like amazing, I think, well, just how amazing are you talking about amazing? Well, it's going to be just so amazing. So amazing so much so that, that all that we've struggled through in this life will just, just, just make it all worthwhile because of what's to come. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, we hear these words, Therefore, we do not lose heart. And whenever writers in the New Testament say that, he, he realizes the people he's writing to have already lost what? Lost heart. He's saying, I know I'm writing to you. I want, to, I want you to know I haven't and the people with me haven't. But I know you are kind of losing heart. But I'm saying you don't have to lose heart. Not because there aren't things that, that would naturally allow you or cause you to want to lose heart because you're suffering. But, but let me give you a perspective. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying. Can anybody say amen to that? Is your, is your body less now than it used to be? Okay. You, you know, we're all kind of sloping down a little bit. I don't know when that age happens, when you start to go downward, but it's already happened for me. It, it, it said our, our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
uh, the true story, this, between our services, I was talking to uh, uh, one of our members, and he said, I hated this verse. I wouldn't read it for, for years. For 12 years, I wouldn't read this verse. Because somehow she felt that God was saying pain is good. And I said, I, pain is not good for me. I don't like pain. And, and she says, I think I have a better clue what he's saying here. He's not saying affliction's good. But it's light, no matter how intense it is here. Light in comparison to what we have to look forward to. It's kind of like Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and call according to his purpose. doesn't mean everything's good in this life, but God can use it for good. doesn't mean affliction is pleasurable or something to, to desire. But in light of eternity, it's nothing. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If I, um, if I can somehow imagine how long my pain's going to be, and I, was, you know, I was talking to Ada afterwards, how long is her cast going to be on her arm? You know? And I've had quite a few casts in my life. And, um, but you know, when I know how long, I go, can I, can I last that long? You know, and then after as long, can I now look forward to health? And, and when you get good health, you go, oh, okay, I, I can handle that. And see, whatever we go through now, we can handle if we really believe heaven. It's just so amazing. So what's heaven going to be like? It's going to be better. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be amazing. And then fourthly, and I'm kind of through, it's going to be assuring, assuring. Look at Revelation 2, 12 through 14, and hopefully you kind of see where I got that. Heaven, it's going to be a, 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 in heaven, in the city that descends, it had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at, the, and at the gates 12 angels and names which are written on them, which are the name of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And the wall, the city, had 12 foundation stones. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, this, this symbolic language sometimes just can be overwhelming as you read it. You go, what in the world? How am I supposed to see what's going on here? It, it's some kind of, you know, from heaven, we're going to populate the entire planet, the earth, during he, uh, heaven eternity, possibly planets as well, but there's going to be descending from the sky a place called the New Jerusalem, the Holy City, and it's going to have these descriptions that we're reading about them. It has these walls and these gates, but he throws in some details there. He says, you know, there's going to be 12 names of the tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Well, why did he throw that in there? Well, let me just throw this out as a possible reason. He says, I, I want you to know that this place is where God's people from the past and the present are going to live. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel symbolizes God's covenant people that knew him. The 12 apostles symbolizes the church and the people who, who know Christ after the cross. And he wants you to know, I, it's going to be etched in the city, these two groups of people, all of all of. The believers in the Old Testament and all the believers in the New Testament. You ever had somebody pour cement and they said, you want to put your hand in the cement? You ever had that happen? Put that in there? Or you've seen somebody else do that? And why do they do that? So, well, I want to I want make my mark that's going to last as long as this cement's here, right? Well, there's going to be a mark in heaven for all of God's people that will last. And I don't know about you. If I get to heaven, I want to make sure I not only get there, but I stay there, Right? I don't, I don't want to be taken on, off that list 
and put someplace else. And there's an assurance there. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, John, who got the revelation in the book of Revelation, said this, These things I write to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Heaven will be better, it will be joyful, it will be amazing, it will be assuring. The reservation will last. Fifthly, it will be spacious. It will be spacious. Look at the next statement. It says, uh, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod. Just how big is this place? To measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod. 1,500 miles its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which also have angelic measurements. Now, if you read various authors on this or people who, who write on this or speak on this, they'll say, well, this... The city that descends from the sky, it's going to be this great pyramid, you know, kind of like, the, like the pyramids of Egypt. Other people say, no, it's going to be this huge cube, okay, that will be, you know, spacious because it's, it's, well, it's like a cube. I say, no, it's going to be this one huge sphere, okay, kind of like a mini planet. But what we know about the heavenly city, it's going to be big. Uh, in fact, I guess you superimpose it on the United States, it would be from Canada to the Gulf, from Colorado to the Atlantic. Uh, ocean. And, and as you look at that, some have, have done this in terms of having comfortable space in this, this place that it, it encompasses a lot, okay? It's not just flat. It, is this? It would be a place of 20 million square cubic miles. You say, well, I have no idea what that means. And some have said this as they do the measure. I don't have any idea how they do this, but they said, you just take a 25%, about a quarter of this, this heavenly city, and you'd have, a, a space, you'd have spacious room for 20 billion people. 20 billion. Have you ever been to a culture where their, their, their space is different than yours? I mean, that when, uh, you know, Americans, if we're talking with somebody, you know, we want at least arm's length, you know, as far as how close you get to them. You get in certain places, when they talk to you, they're right here, right? I don't know if you've met, and, you know, you're, and you're thinking, whoa, you know, and then you realize that's just, that's just their, how they were raised, okay? And, and I'm thinking, well, how crowded is heaven going to be? Am I going to, you know, it's, you know, it's going to get kind of strange that people are like crowded. There's going to be plenty of space, not only in the heavenly city, but of course, the whole universe. Now, we're out of time. We're only at to the uh, fifth point, okay? But let me just throw this out to you. Heaven is, is not only going to be better, joyful, amazing, assuring, spacious. It's going to be so beautiful. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says this, But just as written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered in the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit himself searches all things, even the depths of God. We can't imagine how beautiful it is. Now, he, he throws some details in here in Revelation chapters 21, 18, chapter 21, 18 through 21. He puts all these stones, and he says every precious stone. And uh, Ladies, how many of you like jewelry? How many are, are really kind of into jewelry? It's all right. You can raise your hand in church. Okay, I'm not going to volunteer you for Stephen's ministry. No, okay, just, just how, how many, which I would like you to. But, you know, you like jewelry. And why you like Because it's beautiful, right? 
And some of you say, well, I like this kind of jewel. I like that precious stone. It says every precious stone you can imagine. And, and God's going to light up and you're going to see like the rainbows of this place. It's going to be a beautiful place. I, I would go through all the jewels, but they, you know, there's, there's green, there's yellows, and there's gold, and there's transparent, you know, filtered things. There's stripes. There's all kinds of colors there. It's going to be a beautiful place. Seventhly, um, it, it says that God is not going to have a temple in heaven. He will be the temple, which simply means this. God will be everywhere. Expect it to be God everywhere. When Jesus was here, the, the one thing you could say was true about all the disciples, wherever Jesus was, they wanted what? To be there too. Heaven's going to be a place where God's going to be everywhere and not in like a, a filtered way. Now, I don't know how that happens, but God is spirit and he can be everywhere at once. And he will manifest himself in that point where he will be the tabernacle. The tabernacle, just like even in, uh, you know, American Christianity or Christianity that's, that's now in the 21st century, we have places of worship where people gather together. That's not the church. That's the place where the, the people worship. And, and we do that collectively. Uh, but it, as we think about heaven, it'll be, we won't have to go to, the, to a temple or to a building. God will be everywhere, and we will celebrate him together. Eighthly. In Revelation 21, 23, and 24, it says you're not going to have to plug something in and flip a switch. You know, how are we getting light? Have you ever been in a place where it's, it's a little bit dimmer than you like it to be? Or, or dark? And everybody has their light. Some people like it really light, and some people like it a little bit more with shades. But in heaven, the power will never go out. Have you ever been a power out? Or Some people call it a blackout. Some people call it a brownout. And I, there's a difference between which one it is. I forget what it is. But uh, I've been in places. We were in the Philippines, and they had a, I think they called it a brownout. And we had this big evangelistic campaign on, on, on a particular night. And, and we, had, we had generators and like that. Everything went out, and it was dark. That will never happen in heaven because God will be the source of light. See, even, even the natural sources of light now, you can have crowd, a cloud cover the, the, the moon or the sun or the stars even. If you have bad weather, there will always be light. Ninthly, uh, expect it to be exclusive. Now, simply this, God, God even in this, you know, again, we're not reading through this section. I, I, I just encourage you to read through Revelation chapter 21. He says, I want you to let you know that there are going to be some people not in heaven. And it's almost like right in the midst of only talking to believers, he's saying, I want you to know. In verse, in fact, I'll read that one verse in Revelation chapter 21. It says, and nothing unclean, verse 27, and no one who practices an abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This will be a place only for God's people. Not because we're holier than somebody else, but it's a God... We're not going to pollute this place. You'll never be fearful of those around you. It will be exclusive. And then Revelation 22, 1 through 5, I'll just summarize the passage. John is, again, he's just giving pictures. He says, I want you to know when we're there, we're, we're going to be, we'll be near a river of, of the water of life. We'll experience the tree of life with all its fruit. And again, if you just take it as word, What's heaven going to be like? It's going to be a place you'd expect it to be full of life. I, I, I think we've all been places where 
we had expectations that it was going to be kind of a, a place that was going to be alive. And better description, this is, a, this is kind of dead here. You know, where's the enthusiasm? Where, where are people excited about being here? And heaven is going to be a place where life is just manifested. And isn't that what Jesus said in John 10, 10? I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And then in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, uh, it says this. Um, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. And that, that's where we get the idea that expect it to be active. I know, I know we all like our naps. How many people like to take a nap, right? All right, no one admits they want to take a nap. All right, but, you know, sometimes we like our rest, don't we? Uh, but I wouldn't want to rest for eternity, right? I want to have something to do. And we will serve him. Now, I, we don't know how that, that service is going to be, but, but God will give us things to do. And then in verse 5, it says that, that we will reign with him forever and ever. And I guess I would just put it, expect it to be meaningful. If you're, if you're in charge of something, that means that whatever you're in charge of, it needs to have someone to be in charge of, right? It's something that has to be, there has to be something that someone is over because it's important. And we will reign with God, and however that means, we'll have something important to do. I, I mentioned in the beginning of the message that as, as you read, I mean, if you just take these simple descriptions that I tried to summarize this passage, what's heaven going to be like? It's going to be better. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be spacious. It's going to be full of light. God's going to be everywhere. It will be active and meaningful. All those things. And you think, this is too good to be true. Is this just wishful thinking? And that's why I think, as you look at how the Word of God is put together and how you fit those puzzles and pieces, Right before, or as he begins this treatise on heaven, just as he begins it, right? in fact, right after he says the no more, there's going to be no more death, no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain. He says, I, I, want, you, I want you to know who's telling you this message. I, I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. So that's, that's a pretty important person giving this message. And, and right before that, he says, I am the faithful and true. This is too good to be true, but the one who is truth personified says this is truth. And I guess to kind of take a biblical phrase, in light of this, what manner of people should we be? Let's pray. Father, there might be someone here this morning that's still on the outside in, and, and might they know that there's an invitation always to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's simply saying, Lord, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I want to follow you. Submitting our need. Turning from our sin. It's believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again. It's committing. Committing to you personally. That you want Jesus to be Lord, God, and Savior of your life. And when we express that to you, you will answer that prayer and you will become a child of yours. And for us to know you, might, might we live life in a, in a different way? Because in the midst of the challenges of life, we're filled with hope 
and confidence that you're in control. Help us live with a a heavenly expectation of a place we want to be and and we want to go to and bring as many people as possible with us. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we sing.